It's not about can we do it. It was more about how we do it. I always expected people to say no. And then when someone said yes, I was like, what? <laughs> Actually, you want to do this? <laughs> I just had to keep putting one foot in front of the other. The whole world is like, what exactly have you smoked again? This is The Raise, where we take you behind the scenes into the capital raising journeys of startup founders. Some you may have heard of, others you need to hear about, and all of whom have been through it to close a raise. On the show, you'll learn how founders make the difficult decisions. Whether you're a founder yourself or you're simply interested in the fast-moving, innovative world of startups, this show is for you. I'm your host, Mylin Dang. I'm Managing Director of capital raising law firm Metis Law. For over a decade, I've worked with founders to raise capital so they can build businesses that make a lasting impact. Today, I'm chatting with Deborah Taylor. Deborah is the co-founder and COO of OpenSparks, a platform which brings the world of payments and loyalty together in one place. Deborah has founded over 10 fintech companies and had four exits from them. She won the Innovation Award at the Women in Payments Symposium in 2019 and was included in Cardlinks' list of the top 20 women in digital commerce in 2020. In 2021, she was nominated for the Women in Finance Entrepreneur of the Year Award. In this episode, you'll hear Deborah talk about the importance of mentors for entrepreneurs and how she met hers, how she raised capital from investors in Asia to back a pre-revenue startup, and how she pulled her way through a personal tragedy while running a business. This is a very special episode that will make you laugh and cry. Let's dive in. Welcome to the show, Deborah. Thanks, Marlene. Good to be here. Firstly, congratulations on your nomination for the Women in Finance Entrepreneur of the Year Award. Thank you. That was very exciting to get that. And it's not your first time, is it? No, it's not. <laughs> to be a finalist is always just an absolute honour. Awesome. So, Deborah, you're the founder and COO of OpenSparks. What's your elevator pitch for OpenSparks? Okay, so OpenSparks is a platform as a service and we bring the worlds of loyalty and payments together. So both of those industries are silos within their own right and they are trillion-dollar industries, whereas loyalty till now has used separate card or separate coupon to actually identify the loyalty component, whereas what we do is we allow the payment methodology to identify the loyalty component. However you make a payment, we can get that data from global schemes. We can process that data and give the reward back to the consumer. So it takes a lot of friction out of the whole loyalty process. So up till now, you couldn't do that, but through technology, you can do that. And that's what we do. Brilliant. You founded over 10 businesses in your career. What was your first business? Oh, my first business was actually in the telco industry. It was when 1900 was launched in Australia back in 1991 or something like that. And that was bringing the ability for people to actually use a 1900 number to actually provide a service and the consumer would pay for that service on a per minute basis. So that was the very first one that we did. Look, I was first to market in that one and that one did go on to succeed, but I was too early to market in that one. So yeah, it's been an interesting journey with my startups. 
What's been the most significant learnings from all of the businesses that you've run, which you've now used in OpenSparks? I would say that it's really about looking at what the commercial opportunity is and knowing how you can go to market with that opportunity. So certainly in my career, I've been first to market several times and some of those first to markets have worked very successfully and others not so much. I think part of it is making sure you've got a really good commercial model, you know who your target market is, and then you know what you can do to achieve the business growth. And you've been extremely successful in your entrepreneurial journey, including having had four exits. You're now paying it forward by mentoring other fintech founders. And it's so important to have mentors as we build up our businesses. And certainly in industry such as yours, where there are so few females that have gone ahead before you, you're certainly paving the way for other women. Deborah, who are your mentors? I've had many, many mentors over the years. And in fact, most of my mentors have been men. Men who see the vision and not being afraid to actually build up a woman to actually achieve better than they can achieve. So yeah, most of my mentors have been men, but I think more and more now women are able to fill those roles because we have a different challenge. So my male mentors couldn't actually mentor me on the challenges that I faced being the only woman in a room full of men. So I had to actually pave my own way there. But having supported men has really given me the confidence to actually be able to stand my ground, as I've had to do several times, more than several. How did you meet your mentors? Oh, look, you just meet them. Like one of my great mentors is a lawyer who's a very good friend of mine, probably in his mid-80s now. And I met him because I had a legal battle I need to mediate. We became firm friends. It was my first mediation. It was probably 29 years ago. He just threw me in the deep end and said, Deborah, you can do this. So I became the one to do the mediation with his support. He's in the background, but I did the whole thing. So we've become really firm friends now. And you just sort of meet people through business experience. You know, at one point I had three different financial mentors because they all gave me a different aspect of what I needed. So you meet people, look, just in normal course of day-to-day life and business and requirements and networking. Yeah. How do you build that bond? Do you go in thinking this is going to be someone who is going to mentor me or do you build just a rapport and a relationship with them first? Yes, I never go into something thinking they're going to be a mentor to me, but I go into any meeting wanting to find out what value I can add to them and what value they can add to me. And I go in with a very open attitude. It becomes apparent after a while, you know, you form a bond with someone and you go, wow, like I really want to have you help me, guide me over my journey. I'm clear about what I want. And being clear, people then know how and what they can do to support And people want to support other women or whoever it is do well in their business. So I think that's the overarching thing that I always contemplate and consider when I'm meeting people and what I can add back to them, especially women in fintech now. There's a lot of young women coming through and I just love the energy they have, the ideas they have, the vigor they have to actually do well. That's great. And do you have a formal mentorship relationship or is it just you have an issue and you call them up and you have a chat? Yeah, I don't really have any formal 
relationships with mentors. It's been more of a casual thing, as you say. So it's not been a formal, it's not been a paid, it's been just really informal. I think my mentors have seen my willingness to learn and grow and develop. And so they've been really willing to mentor me because they see my passion and drive. That's great advice. One of the things you mentioned just in passing was that male mentors or men in business have different challenges to women. I want to take you back to about 17 years ago when you were running a family-owned business and your daughter, TJ, who was an infant at the time, was diagnosed with leukemia and you ended up working out of a hospital room for two months. As a mother of a preschooler myself, I can't even begin to imagine what that challenge would feel like. What were you doing to get through each day? Gee, that really takes me back to a very emotional place as well. And I think any mother and father would understand that you just love and adore your child so much that you would do anything for them. And for me, I just had to keep putting one foot in front of the other. And I remember first arriving that hospital room having had the diagnosis and I just cried and cried watching this poor little girl in her bed and I just cried my eyes out. And then I did that. And then I'm like, okay, so I have to be strong. I have to be the strong one here. I cannot fall in a heap. So I didn't deny my emotions, but I just put those in a little hole, little spot where I didn't really need to access them. And I just did whatever I could to save my daughter. And in doing so, I also had to focus on my business because I couldn't let my business fall apart either because that would also mean our family could fall apart. So I had to be really compartmentalized. She was always my first priority, but I would do things whenever I had to, to mean that I could focus on her when she was awake and when she needed me. So I'd get up at sometimes two o'clock in the morning and start doing work because that was the only time that was available for me. And so, yeah, my dedication to her was just whatever it took to get through this and keep my business going for all of us, for the family. That's amazing. Thank you for sharing that. It's beautiful. Let's change the tone a little bit. Yeah. I'd like to ask you about <laughs> your cap raising journey yeah. with Open Sparks. Open Sparks has raised $2.5 million in seed funding, and you've had a lot of success raising from investors based in Asia, in particular Singapore and Hong Kong. Did you try to raise in Australia before you looked into Asia? Well, I guess we tried to raise funds full stop. And wherever those funds came from was what we would do. So it happened that they came from Hong Kong and Singapore. And it's just much easier. It actually is really tough raising money in Australia. I think a lot of people have said that and would agree with me that we're too risk adverse here. And so people just in Australia just don't want to actually back founders easily. So I hope it's getting better now. But when we were raising back in 2017, I think our first raise was, we just couldn't raise here. But again, we weren't raising in Australia, we were just raising money and it came from offshore. So yeah, that was sort of what happened. Right. And how did you meet the offshore investors? How did you go about meeting them? Well, again, there were people that we knew, people in our network. We had connections with our first seed investor who we hadn't met, but we had connections within Australia. And when an Australian person found out what we were doing 
in a similar industry and still in the payments industry. They introduced us to a company in Hong Kong who wanted to invest in the loyalty space. And because we bring loyalty and payments together, a lot of the funding has come from people within the payments industry that know the value of what our company does by linking those two silos. And we met this guy, we had a chat to him, we gave him what we wanted, what our vow was. He came back and said, within three days, I'll do it at this vow. That was it. We did the deal. And the person who introduced you to that investor, who was that person and how long had you known them for? I hadn't known them personally, but I had known of him for many, many years. And he was known to one of my co-founders. So we just put out through our network, this is what we're doing. And people who can see our passion, our vision, they saw that and thought, great, this is a great opportunity. I know someone who can do that. So again, it's all about connecting up with people, linking with people, making sure you're well networked, and then putting out there what you are trying to do with your cap raise. And the other one, second seed funder was again known within our co-founding group and had been known for many years. So again, that person was more involved in the loyalty space. So again, that person could see the value that the payment aspect of what we do brings to loyalty. So the two sides worked out both our main seed rounds, one from the payment side, one from the loyalty side, because both sides can see the value of what we do. That's great. So you're not reaching out to random people, really. It's one people that know you or know of you, but also they know the industry. So they know what the issues are and the problems are. That's right. And they also know that what myself and my other co-founders have achieved over the years. So between us, we've got well over 100 years of experience in either payments, tech or loyalty. Two of us have done several startups. The others have just done maybe one or two, but they know that what we can achieve, they know what we've been able to build in our careers. So they really backed us. And that's an important thing, like who you are and what you've done and making sure you can justify and show that you can achieve what you're saying you can achieve. That's going to lead into one of the questions I'd love to ask you. But before I jump into that, were you pre-revenue for both rounds that you did? Yeah, pre-revenue. Yeah. What does the conversation with investors look like when you're pre-rev? Well, what you need to look at then is what the market opportunity is and what you've done to date. So certainly in the tech field, what we had done to date is we built our tech We were integrated with the schemes. So we had schemes, I mean, MasterCard, Visa, they're the payment gateways. So they're the main ones we use in Australia, plus FPOS and Amex on the cards. So it's about what we have achieved. And what we had achieved was a substantial amount towards what the product would look like once we got into market. Right. You mentioned your founders and the investors backing the founders and their experience. You do have a great team behind you and your co-founders, a great experience. How did you meet them? Well, one of my founders I've been involved with in our family business for 30 odd years. So we've worked together in all of my startups, we've worked together. One of my other co-founders I've worked with in a previous business about 10 years ago. That was really a precursor to OpenSparks. That was when the olden days of doing batch file processing overnight to get data, whereas now we have real-time data, we have APIs into the scheme. So we're a bit too early to market with that one. But I'd worked with him for about 10 years. He's our technologist, he's our CTO, and he had a 40-year career of building 
tech in the payment industry. So we formed a really close bond over the years that we've worked together. And our other co-founder, our fourth co-founder, we've only worked with for about four years now, but he had led one of the largest loyalty companies in Australia. And he actually called us up one day and said, I'm doing some research. The old company was sold and he just decided not to go with the new owner and branch out on his own. And he said, I've been doing some research and you have the next best thing in loyalty. Can I come and talk to you? So he came in, had a chat to us. He could see what our vision was. We could see he added the fourth part to our group. And that is his background was really solely in loyalty. Myself and my partner were mostly in payments. Our CTO is mostly in tech and payments. We didn't have a strong loyalty. I'd only been involved in loyalty for about five or six years. So he brought 25, 30 years of experience in the loyalty space. So he joined us as, and we invited him as a co-founder because he added an extra arm to what the combined force of the four founders has. Deborah, what's one thing you can share with founders who are thinking about capital raising or are embarking on the capital raising journey? You are always capital raising. So from the very first time you have an idea, you have to be in capital raising mode because you don't know where it's going to go. So people who want to start a business have got an idea generally to either sell their business or to be able to work for themselves and run their business over many years. And so from the very first time you have a thought about, I'd like to start a business or I've got an idea that that could work in the market, you've got to think that you are cap raising at all times because our cap raising efforts now are really seeding and the cap raising efforts we've done previously are all seeding the next bigger rounds that we'll be looking at. That's great advice. So true. We talk to founders about investor dating, but what you're saying is you're doing that right from the very beginning. Yeah. So every person you meet, you don't know how they can help you or what the pathway with your relationship is with them down the track, but know that they might be an investor or they might know someone who might be an investor. So you've always got to have that hat on. Fantastic. Deborah, thank you for talking with me today. And I'd like to finish off with what I call the quick six, which is six rapid fire questions that you don't need to think too much about. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) All right. I've remixed some of these from some of my favorite interviewers. Your favorite work from home, lunch or snack? Okay. Salmon, salad and flaxseed oil. Oh, yum. Very healthy too. Yeah. What's a great book that you've read recently? Oh, I'm reading one now. Oh, my gosh, what's it called? One um, that I read recently is Atomic Habits. Fantastic. What is the most useful good or service that you've brought in the last 12 months that costs $100 or less? Sorry, mine costs more than $100. Can we go over $100? Okay. (laughs) Yes, yes. One is a small portable screen that folds down like a laptop and it's a touch screen. It goes everywhere with me. And how do you use it? It's like a big laptop size and it's got a a stand that makes it fold out like a laptop as well, like a Surface Pro. And just plug it in, it powers up. It's also got an internal battery. So it runs for about six hours on battery. But for overseas travel or travel anywhere, not that I can do overseas travel now, but it's fantastic because I can carry my second screen with me wherever I go and I must have a second screen and it must be touchscreen. Excellent. Love it. 
What's on heavy rotation on your music playlist at the moment? Oh, look, I'm doing like some top country stuff right now. I change my music all the time. I love Johnny Cash. Uh, oh, yes. and Leonard Cohen. Oh, I love Leonard Cohen. Oh, he's amazing. I just cry when I hear Hallelujah. Yes, me too. <laughs> one year I was listening to that and I had it on repeat 170 <laughs> times in one day. <laughs> oh, my gosh, what was happening in your life then, Miley? Were you in <laughs> you imagine. <laughs> <laughs> and last question. When you think of the word successful, who do you think of and why? Well, I think of two people. One is certainly Nelson Mandela. I just have absolute inspiration for that man. He believed in what he believed in and he went to jail for that. And his journey and life in jail was extraordinary and he did not waver from his commitment to his beliefs and values. I've just got, he's just one of my role models. The other one you might be surprised about is Jackie Onassis. Her life is extraordinary. You know, she was a traditional sort of wife, but what she went through, like she had a miscarriage at nine months pregnant or something, and then she had to continue being the president's wife. And the way she stood with her children when JFK's coffin went past and her belief and faith in keeping being strong when you have to be strong and allowing yourself to fall apart privately when you might need to. Love it. And you've pulled at my heartstrings a few times. Thank you so much. We will have a link to your contact details and all of the contact details for Open Sparks in our show notes. It's been fantastic speaking with you. I am very grateful. Thanks, Deb. Thanks, Mylin. You've been listening to The Raise, a show that takes you behind the scenes into founder stories about capital raising. This podcast is brought to you by Termsheet Guru, a product from the expert team at Metis Law. Create kick-ass capital raising term sheets with Termsheet Guru and learn how to negotiate term sheets with confidence. To find out more, head to the website termsheet.guru. That's T-E-R-M-S-H-E-E-T dot G-U-R-U. To make sure you don't miss an episode of The Raise, be sure to subscribe to or follow the show in your podcast app. And while you're there, leave us a five-star review. It really helps others find the show. I'm Mylin Dang, and we'll be back next episode with another deep dive into our founder's capital raising story.